All right, so this is episode 22 of Olu Swole, the podcast on the budget. I'm excited to welcome our guest. She is a social entrepreneur and global citizen. Olivia, what's good? Hey, I'm so happy to be here. Before we start, I need you to get into what the name means and like how you came up with that. Yeah, sure. I see the, like the interviewee, interviewing the interviewer. <laughs> yeah, I see that. But my middle name is Oluwale, which is spelled like Olu Swole, both out the S. So I took that, combined it with the word swole, made it into Olu Swole. I'm not swole <laughs> yet, you know, I'm trying to get We're there. We're getting there. Yeah. Episode 150, yeah. you'll be swole. <laughs> Fingers <laughs> crossed. It's all part of the plan. <laughs> all part of the plan. But yeah, 100%. Uh, so you've lived in a bunch of places, like a lot of places all across the world. I think Cameroon, the UK, Angola. Dubai, Texas, Nigeria, anywhere else? Congo. Um, mm. He said Angola. I think you got it, which I'm really glad you did. Yeah, but yeah. just one, one just, Missed sorry, just one. one short, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I want to ask, like, how was that experience, like, just living all around the world? Like, you know, that's not a very common experience. Like, tell me how that's been. Well, I, it's only until now, like living in the U.S. for the last four years that I realized that it isn't normal and that's not what everyone's reality is. So if you asked me two years ago, I probably would have been like, I mean, I'm happy. I don't know anything different. I like it. I like to meet new people. I feel like I can hold conversation with people from all backgrounds. But now that I've gotten a taste of what it's like to be kind of more stationary, um, there are differences and I definitely see them now, but it was great mm. overall. I can't complain. What do you think those differences are? Well, I think they're mostly like interpersonally, like when you're getting to know people, knowing that you're going to be there for a long time versus when you're just picking people's brains, getting to know them, but you know, you're, they're only going to be in your life for a short amount of time. And obviously mm. I think there are, there are benefits to both. Like sometimes in your life, you know, you just have to speed date maybe for friendships both ways, but sometimes you just have people coming in and out of your life, but sometimes it's better to feel like you're going to be somewhere for a long time. And then you're building those relationships for longevity. You know? mm. Yeah. That sounds like, I mean, just that could be a potential problem. Just like moving around so much, trying to like build those long lasting relationships. But I mean, you know, I mean, it's, it's kind of you kind of have to make an extra effort to make those relationships last. But um, yeah, it sounds fun, though. I mean, living all those places, like just so many different experiences and like memories and vibes you create. I'm sure mm -hmm. the vibes were immaculate. Vibes are immaculate. Different vibes everywhere. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. And I guess the best part is that I can match the vibe at different places. Exactly. exactly yeah. Culture bender. That's pretty cool. Exactly. What yeah. what what do they call Drake? A culture vulture. Maybe I'm a culture vulture. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out the six god. Yeah. Shout out the six god. Yeah. But um before we get into like the, the nitty gritty, we go way back because of our, you know, our dads were childhood friends. And um I know you go to Penn. We both go to Penn, we're both rising sophomores. So we you know go to the same school, but you know it kind of started years ago. I think our dads before we before we've been born. 
Yeah. We were kind well, of like built-in friends. Exactly. Yeah. From the jump. From the uh, jump. I don't. I don't remember not knowing you, which is weird to say. Yeah. Yeah. You know each other for a pretty long time. Yeah. It's pretty cool. And um, you know, because of our dad's relationships, um, you know, we we were both living in Houston around like similar time when we were kids. So like we saw each other, went to went to each other's houses and stuff. So you know, small world. Now we're at Penn. Like that's, that's yeah. madness. Yeah, it's yeah. fair. It's I would have never imagined it ending up that way, but I'm yeah. glad that it did. Yeah, tell me how your Penn experience has been like, because you know you were on campus for the second semester. I think for some parts of the first semester, you were you weren't on for campus, all, but you were for all the first sem- for first semester. Oh wow! Yeah. Oh cool. How was that? That like? was one of the. It was. I'm so grateful for that experience and. Obviously, not a lot of people got to have that, but randomly, I met these three girls on Instagram, and we were like, let's live together. We met the day that we signed our lease to our apartment, Mm. and even though we didn't have, like, the normal college experience for that first semester, we really got to know each other and kind of Billy. And then I had the second semester, which was, like, an influx of people and real pen, not even real pen, but, like, realer pen. So I Mm. feel like I almost had two first years of college in one. Like there was the like quiet, just getting to know my best friends versus getting to know a lot of people. And it's gonna Mm. get even more different from now. Yeah, I mean, meeting people through IG can be, it can be kinda, I don't know, hit or miss because you don't know what to expect. But for you, it was definitely a hit. It was a hit. It went down in the DMs, but it could have (laughs) definitely, it could have definitely been like downhill, especially uh, living, especially living with people. Like when you're living with people, that's when you see their quirks mm, and the major red flags, you know. Mm, and luckily, I saw none, but there was potential for me to see that if it was the wrong person. Yeah, that's when their true colors come out. You know, uh, personally, I didn't live with anyone uh, when I was on ca- campus last semester because I was in a single dorm, but. I mean, next year I will be. So I like all the people I'm living with, but I never lived with them before. So you'll see how that goes. It should be fun either way. We're, we're, oh wait, I probably shouldn't ask this in a public forum. I was going to ask what your living situation is, but let's not have your, your listeners visit you when you don't want them to. Yeah, I can't have, you know, paparazzi pulling up to my house. I'm just trying to live out here. Like, I can't have all that. Oluswale is blowing, blowing up. (laughs) Exactly. <laughs> nah, I mean, I'm living in a six-person suite. Uh, I'll tell you the building like off the air, but um, yeah, it's pretty. It's pretty, you know, pretty popular place, for, especially for freshmen last year. But yeah, uh, it's it's not far from Hill. You can probably guess what I'm talking about. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> if you know, you know. <laughs> yeah, if you know, you know. <laughs> Glad you're able to find you know your group even in this weird kind of environment but tell me about the social impact stuff you do because i know you do you started mildred's hands which is inspired by your grandma and you guys provide mobile libraries school supply donations and other forms of support i think you donated more than 1k books in the past four years which is incredible but tell me about that yeah so basically i say i've been doing mildred's hands for the last now it's five years but Mostly, I've I've really been doing it my whole life. I 
love books. I love to read. And my grandma actually was one of the first women in her village to go to university and kind of always instilled. And then after she retired from her job, she opened up her own school. So like kind of a core value that she's always had and passed on to me is the importance of education. And like when you have those opportunities, also making sure that you're making those opportunities for other people. So for as long as I can remember, my family's always like taken back the books that I would read and like give them to other people. If I was buying school supplies, try and match that. So then I kind of like gave a name to what I feel like I've been doing for a really long time. And I really enjoy doing it. I don't have that much time for it at Penn. It's more so like in Houston, a lot of people know that if you have books and you don't want them, then you just like leave them at our house. And I just have like a storage unit of books and hopefully mm -hmm. I can restart the mobile libraries and doing more with that when I have more time. But for now I'm just collecting books. So if anyone has any books at Penn, I'm happy to take them. Just not textbooks. <laughs> nice. That's actually like really cool. The fact that you're, I mean, the story that you told about your grandma and the fact that you're able to benefit the lives of a bunch of kids, I mean, it's a pretty, pretty cool thing. How does, how exactly does one, like, what exactly is a mobile library? Is it just like libraries that you can transport to different parts of a, of a city or how exactly does that work? So my inspiration was like kind of what you're imagining, like a true mobile library where it would be like. Honestly, that's probably my end goal to eventually like fit out like a cool, like maybe like a school bus and like kind of like an ice cream truck and like fill it up with books and like people can check out from like the moving library when it comes to people. But my interpretation of a mobile library with my limited budget was um, kind of like, well, they were originally garden sheds and then I worked with someone to like add wheels to them and make them mobile. and. My rationale was that I wanted to give them all these books. I had 200 books I wanted to send to a school, but I didn't yeah. want to create another problem for them. You know, like they would get all these books and they'd be like, oh, thank you so much. But what do we do with them? We don't, we don't have a library, you know? So in trying to solve a problem, you mm. create more problems. So I was like, so I need to give them a library when I give them the book too. And then it evolved into, if I can make one library that moves, then it can move between classrooms and like kids can like mm. have the library for a day. They just wheel it over to the next classroom, have the library of like the 200 books, so on and so forth. Mm. But back to what I was saying before, the goal is for that to eventually be like a bus that like goes through different cities and like maybe like the people can keep the books if we have that many books or like you return it when it's like back on your route. I don't know haven't developed it that much but mm. that's what a mobile library is mm. that sounds pretty cool like hopefully you know you can achieve your goals of you know making that a true mobile library and you know maybe have your own like fleet of like you said like your own fleet of transportation that can you know actually deliver the books to from um place to place i mean this whole concept is pretty cool like i've never met someone who has started something like this at like such a young age so i mean Big shout out to you and the fam. I mean, that's that's, uh, that's really cool. Thank um, you. And I'd love more books. If anyone listening yeah. has books to donate. 
yeah for sure if um i'll put the link to the notice hands in the description so if you guys want to donate some books you know check that out so based on you know your experience with Mildred's hands like you and you know from my conversations with you like you seem like the type of person who is interested in leaving an impact on people in a positive way does that tie in i think you did some social impact consulting last semester or something yeah. along those lines so does that like desire to help people tie in with like what you did for consulting last semester yeah i end goal i would love to find like to do something in the whole like social enterprise world and kind of like go against the idea that you can't make money but also like benefit the planet the community around you the world like i don't i just feel like if like especially at penn like penn validates us and says we're so smart we have all these talents i think sometimes that it's important to kind of put that like put that like brainstorming good ideas like i don't know business acumen towards i don't know wanting to do something that matters and in doing sic i've worked with really cool companies that are profitable and like do well and like the ceos live a good life but they also you know support the community and i just think if you think hard enough that there's a way to kind of marry the two mm. Yeah, because kind of alluding to what you said about, you know, Penn students, I mean, you know, even if you're not even in Wharton, if you're in the college, very common path is like you go to Penn, then you go to finance, or you go to Penn, and then you go to consulting, and, you know, you become a, a Wall Street snake or, you know, something yeah. along those lines. But it's good that, like, you know, you're you're showing that that's not the only path you have to take. You can still make bank without, you know, having to... Um, sell your soul so yeah respect that and like there's a lot of like research on it like there's only so much money that you can make that will make you like truly happy so it's like if you like believe in your own sauce that like whatever you do you can support yourself and like you can do well then why shouldn't you also think about something that will sustain you long term and like actually make you happy mm. yeah I think it's a in econ they call it what the law of diminishing returns. And, mm-hmm. You know, the more bank like making money is cool, but at some point, like you said, just becomes moot, and it's just like more oh, money, okay. more more money, more problems too. Exactly, that's actually an episode name of one of my podcast episodes. I think it's episode <laughs> six or something. Yeah, Shout out episode six. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, so you you know. You mentioned that you lived in the UK uh, earlier on in the podcast, and this episode will come out like a few weeks after you know England just lost in the finals in the Euro Championships. But <laughs> you're in London right now, as like this whole Euro thing is going on. Like the final happened, and you're there. Tell me about what you've seen and what's been going on. Well, I definitely had, what even is the word? I was going to say 3D, but it's like 5D because I was at a pub when they lost. Mm. And um, it was crazy. The energy throughout the day was like you could feel it and like everyone wanted it so bad. All of, we went to this one pub and apparently like they had 400 seats available and like 50,000 people had tried to book those seats. Like everyone was wanting to watch, like genuinely the entire more than the entire like UK was watching it. Every you were watching it too. 
but mm. um yeah it was definitely sad to see them lose um it really bothers me that they put that much pressure on Saka and um and Rashford especially because like Rashford wasn't even playing for the whole game and like he was cold and then they like put them in this pressure cooker of an environment but mm. I don't know I'm not going to pretend to know that much about sports but it's crazy and then no, the racism I... the racism that's followed is insane yeah yeah that's the that's no bueno um if it, look I, I don't i don't understand why you would hate on someone for racing a penalty like it happens it's just a sport you miss shots you make shots i mean <laughs> yeah, you can't really be mad it kind of sucks that it was a nigerian kid um who you know was a deciding factor in the in the game but you know he's 19 year old and i saw this again i don't know that much about football i just like was there and like became passionate about this specific game but i saw like a tweet that was like Saka's never even done a penalty for arsenal like this was his first like professional penalty mm. so it was like why like i'm sure he has like the talent too but like as a coach why would you put someone who's so new to like th that setting in that like situation you know mm. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, I think I think you're right. Yeah, it was his first career penalty. And I mean, just the whole country with their eyes on you and you know, just you and the goalkeeper. I mean, that's that's a lot of I mean, I know football is just a game, so I don't want to call it anxiety, but I mean it's a lot yeah, of it is you know, anxiety. Yeah, yeah, like in, in, imagine you know, like we're we're reading all the articles about it. Imagine like how he felt going to sleep last night. They're saying like, oh, it's been 50 years and the weight of that falls on your shoulder. As a 19 year old, he would be a sophomore at Penn, mm. you know? Yeah, he's your age, you know? Yeah, Crazy. your age too, I assume. <laughs> uh, he's a little older, I'm turning 19. Actually, by the time this comes out, I think I would have like just turned 19, probably. I need to make sure I wish you happy birthday. <laughs> Thanks, appreciate that. So you lived in, you know, the UK when you were younger were there any like noticeable British isms that you picked up on, you know, just like br uniquely British things? Like, do you mean slang or like mannerisms? Both, either. Both? Yeah. Um, definitely slang. There are a lot of like weird words that I find myself saying only when I'm here. Like I, like I, like my accent is like super like a chameleon. Like if I'm around all the British people, then I'm like, I'm using pang and I'm like, <laughs> I don't know, like mad or like, I don't even know. There are too uh, many like random, I swear you need like Google Translate to understand British people sometimes. <laughs> but also like beyond that, I've found that British people are less friendly than Americans. Interesting. Um, I went to a British... I mean, it was an international school, but they followed the British curriculum. So we did like, you know, GCSEs, A-levels, stuff like that um, in Abu Dhabi. So we had a lot of British people there. And, um, you know, there's like you said, like all those uh, accent things, like it's a madness and, you know, stuff like yeah. that. You know? <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, I love it. It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I've been getting into UK rap recently. Yeah. Yeah. It's good genre Stormzy but Stormzy yeah Dave yeah Tion Wayne 
Tian Wayne. Um, what's the? Is he the one that did the like? You see the state of a buddy. That uh, was, he, he yeah, yeah, he did that. But yeah, the person who's saying, yeah, is H the one who did that versus H, right? No, yeah. it's a guy it's who looks other, like. Yeah, the, the guy looks, looks like, like him. Yeah. <laughs> Oops, sorry guys. <laughs> nah, people always confuse them with each other because you know they kind of look, kind of resemble each other a little bit. Yeah, but... I, they're they're both outliers in their in their scene, so you <laughs> mm. mix them up. You know, some the same way that like people confuse black people for each other. <laughs> Sad to say though. Yeah, I've definitely experienced that many times. Like I've been confused for people who are biracial. You know what I mean? Not <laughs> the same skin tone. <laughs> but yeah. I want to ask you about like any UK sports you did. Because I think you did a little triple jump in the UK. So tell I me did. how your sports life was like. Um, in the UK, I actually wasn't that good at sports. Which is funny because I'm like, I've always like competed at sports. But then when I went back to the US after doing triple jump and long jump for a long time in the UK, I came back. And in my 10th grade year, randomly, I ended up making it to like my division state competition in Texas. And like for a second, I was like sixth at state in long jump. But then, but then I did cheer the year after and like completely messed up my jump and like plummeted to like irrelevant. But um, yeah, I did long jump, I did long jump and triple jump in the UK and then kind of carried that on to the US too. Whoa, that's actually pretty cool. Six in in the state in Texas. Six sixth in taps, which is like the private school league. Like I could oh, okay. never compete against like the public school kids in Texas, but like in my like niche league, I was really good for a second. For one year. <laughs> I mean, a big fish in a small pond is still a big fish, so Exactly. Yeah. How did you cause you know with other sports, right? You know, they're usually usually people get into them at a young age. You know, like f- soccer, football, like there are basketball practices, soccer sign up, stuff like that. Um, but with something like triple jump, you don't see little kids doing triple jump. It's not something that's really introduced at a young age. So how did you get into that? Well, triple jump isn't really encouraged for kids because it's really really bad for your knees. So it's one of those sports where it's like if you'd been doing triple jump since you were ten, well, you just wouldn't be able to do it eight years later because your knees would be destroyed mm. but um yeah i got introduced to it because i was on my track team i've always been on like my school's track team for forever mm. um and i was on my track team and i was obviously the tallest person there and they were like well who's gonna do the long jump they're like okay the long person and then <laughs> i kind of got like siphoned into that like bucket of events and i really like triple jump because like I did some dance and like triple jump is kind of like about having a rhythm and like being able to like replicate the same thing because you have to jump three times and do the thing. Mm. So I picked it up really fast because I was able to get that like boom, boom, boom kind of reminded me of like other sports that I had done. Mm. But yeah, definitely don't do it anymore. I don't think my knees could handle it. Mm. That's what old age does to you. you know? Exactly. I'm aging. I've hit my max. <laughs> what about yeah. you? Did you do any sports? I'm just curious. Ah, uh, that's a that's a funny question. <laughs> uh, 
Not, no, not really. Like, I played, I think, when I was a freshman in high school, we had an A team and a B team for our soccer slash football team, whatever the listener is more familiar with. And I was on the B team. But and I played minutes, but we had we went to a small school, so it's just like it wasn't hard to get on the team because there weren't many people <laughs> in the school anyway. So, I mean, I played a little bit, but I wasn't good. You know, that's you know, yeah. just played recreationally. That's it. Exactly. Still fun. Still. Fun. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm just looking forward to intramural sports at Penn. Hopefully, I can get into some of those. That'd be cool. Oh, that's really cool. Which which I'm not familiar with how it works. Like. Do you, would you play only soccer or football or would you like it would be like club would you do like club soccer oh i'm definitely not good enough to play club soccer but like intramural soccer yeah i think it's just chill like you just come and play and it's low stakes you know it's just fun love that that's great yeah i might do that but we'll see if i have time next semester it should be yeah we'll see it should be one hell of a semester though looking forward to it no, I'm really excited. I'm I'm kind of nervous for what it's going to be like to do like in-person classes because I don't think I've actually like like had to grind for a year and a half. So, I'm scared for that, but it'll be fun. Mm. Or not. I I agree. Yeah, it's definitely it's a normal feeling to have because, you know, you've never experienced in-person college really. So, I don't know. I think it should be fun though. Yeah. 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 So, I want to transition to the seven one three, which we've already been, you know, talking about a little bit. That's uh, that's H-town. Houston H town. Got represent. Yes, sir. <laughs> Hook them. I was like, well, University of Texas says. I know they're in yeah. Austin, but like, you know, same difference. Who cares? Um, so your high school had like a trip to Belize. How how was how was that like? South America. It was amazing. Um, we started off the trip like your t- typical school trip, like we did the tourist stuff, and then on a on our third day, we stayed with a homestay, a local family, and it was mm. just a, like it was a Mayan family, and like their house had two bedrooms. I felt bad. We like displaced the kids, and mm. basically, I had a homestay mom. I like it was me and one other student, and we lived with them for a week. And we went to school with them. We ate their food, which was really traumatizing. I think it says a lot that I'm a pescatarian now. I don't eat meat. But like for dinner, they would like ask us to pick out a chicken and then like we'd have chicken for dinner. And it was it was it was a it was a really interesting experience and I loved getting to know Belize in that context, like what what it's like to be Mayan. And they're great people. I wish I could say I'm still in contact with them, but they don't have any, I don't have any way of like speaking to them. But it was, it was a great week. And it was, I got really close with my roommate like through that. Cause we just, they, they also didn't speak any English, the family I was living with. But it was really interesting to get close to that family without even having to say a word to them, if that makes sense. Mm. I don't know. It was a good experience. That sounds like a lot of fun. Um, when you said they asked you to pick out a chicken, is it just like they had live chickens and they said we're having this one for for, yeah. for dinner? Well, yeah, they would. They would in the morning before we went to school. They would ask us like like 
could take the chicken. And then mm-hmm. I guess like while we were out, they would kill it, pluck it, do the thing. And I'd have chicken for dinner. And mm. I hated that. <laughs> <laughs> That's a madness. Cause like you're seeing the live version of your food being turned into food, like within hours. That's crazy. And it's like when I when I think about like my thoughts on it, like I do believe that that's more ethical. That's a more ethical way of like eating meat. But seeing it was def- seeing and being a part of it was definitely like it was gross. <laughs> hmm. Yeah, interesting experience. Um, but you said it was kind of hard for you to communicate with them because they didn't speak English. But were you already doing Spanish in school, and that's why you took the trip to Belize, so you're able to like converse a little bit, or? No, I didn't take. I've never taken Spanish ever. It mm. was just like a service trip because I probably should have mentioned that. But the whole point of the trip was that we were helping them repaint, like your typical service trip or whatever. Our school every year, like they had some. Um, we were helping repaint like their civic center or something. Mm. and yeah it was it was really fun i'm sure the people who spoke spanish got more out of it um but i was just there for the vibes <laughs> just there for the vibes yeah sounds dope yeah that's pretty cool um transitioning away from belize you joined the warden undergraduate founders and funders association which helps to increase the number of the representation of women in you know corporate america so tell me how that experience was like yeah actually um woof is kind of more focused on like women in venture capital and like women being on the funding side of things and okay. like receiving funding for starting businesses and um yeah i started i started i joined the club not knowing that much about like the startup space or venture capital and I still wouldn't say that I know, like I'm an expert in it at all, but it's definitely been a great learning experience. Um, and like, we've had really cool speakers speak to us and like, you know, teach us about how they got to where they got to drop gems on like the whole topic of women in venture capital. Mm. And um, yeah, it's a really cool club. And even if you don't, one, it's not just for women. It's not like warden women, no shade mm. to warden women. It's just kind of like, people who are interested in having more women in the founding and funding space Mm. yeah that sounds pretty interesting um i mean is there any are there any like particular things you learned about vc that you know you you took away from the club yeah i i learned about i don't know if this woman specifically spoke to us or was someone sharing her story on behalf of us but like the a lot of the reason why women don't get funding is like there she was telling a story about like a woman who was pregnant and like had it was the woman who started um i'm not remembering the name you know those like smoothies that you can buy at grocery stores it's um, like stuck to nature like the mango smoothies uh i you know what i'm, I'm talking not... about like with the um the um high c yeah. i don't know um, I'm not sure. I'm gonna do a quick Google smoothie company. Um, I I think is it innocent? I don't know. 
it's like the major smoothie company that like you see everywhere i'm in the uk so my search my google showing me like the smoothie place in the uk but hmm. it's like the smoothie that's now in like all the grocery stores i see them everywhere and it's like it was a great business plan if it was presented to by a guy probably would have gotten funding instantly but because she was pregnant during the like the time that she was pitching it to different you know funders she got passed up on a lot and kind of like had to like fight to get that funding and that attention on what is what was like a bulletproof um plan initially and i think the context of that story was in um this female venture capitalist who kind of had to say to her partners like no like this is a great plan i don't care that she's pregnant and gonna like have a kid she can do both and a big part of the club is kind of like making sure that people don't use their like sexism to stop women from achieving everything that they want to achieve mm. but yeah mm, interesting yeah i mean if you have a good idea and it's, it's a good idea funding, exactly i mean whether or not she's pregnant or not like she could still have because she could have not been pregnant and ha- presented the idea and then had a baby later you know like, or what if or what if she or what if she was a guy who had a wife that was nine months pregnant isn't he also about to have a kid i think a lot of times people like think that the lion's share of like parenting belongs to the woman and mm. like in reality of the kid that you know the the um like the entrepreneur was going to have had two parents you know so why shouldn't mm. one want to start her business yeah, that's a great point because, um, I mean, yeah, in a lot of situations, the, the mom is the only caretaker of, like, the you know, or the only person parenting the children. But, I mean, paternity leave is still, you know, I know it's kind of laughed at, like, oh, you're taking paternity <laughs> leave. Ah. But it's a real thing because, I mean, yeah, you're also parenting a kid if you're a father and you actually care about your kids. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I mean, yeah, that's, that should be taken into consideration as well. But yeah, I want to transition to the Old Swole Bowl. That's a part of the podcast where we ask you some off-the-cuff questions. They might be somewhat related to what we were talking about in the episode, or they might be completely unrelated. So I'll just fire away. Love it. Out of the, I hope this number is correct, out of the seven countries you've lived in, which one is your favorite place and why? Uh... My favorite place, my favorite, which one would be my favorite place to visit? Dubai. My favorite mm. place to live would be Nigeria. Mm. Why? I mean, Dubai is kind of obvious, you know, because it has all the appeal and the glitz and, you know, the, the cool glam. stuff. But why Nigeria? Because it's home. Um, I haven't been since, um, not last December, but the December before, but like just being there and like the vibrancy of it and even though there are problems and like, you know, like for 85% of the people there it can be tough to to live there and like for that to be your home. But I just think that overall there's kind of an energy that kind of like heals, you know, like it's so jovial, like even though like times are hard sometimes everyone's just like down to have fun and like laugh and like also just like family is just so much more important in nigeria than in any other country that i've lived in like like anyone who's your friend or your fam like your father's friend is like 
you know, like an uncle to you. And I think there's just more community and like, you just feel like so much more supported. Uh And I think it would be like a great place to like settle down eventually. I don't know. I'd love Mm. to. Coming back home, leaving the diaspora returning to returning home. Yeah. sounds cool. Yeah, for sure. See, I've never lived in Nigeria, but I've been there. How many times I've been there? I've been there one, two, three times. And, um, yeah, I definitely agree with you. Like the the like they what's the saying? It takes a village to raise a child. It's definitely true in Nigeria. There's more of a connected kind of feel there, as opposed to you know the Western world, which is like you know more Very independent. Yeah, yeah, a little cold sometimes. Not gonna lie, um, but yeah, it's a cool choice. Uh, in in forty years, what do you think people will be nostalgic about? What do we think people will be nostalgic about? Hmm. Um, I think I'm thinking like kids because that's what makes me nostalgic. So like I'm thinking like snow days. Like I feel like we're never going to have a snow day ever again because of Zoom. And like days like and also there probably won't be any snow in 40 years because of global warming. <laughs> I'm being dramatic, but like I don't know. For now, my answer is snow days because I feel like that's just not going to happen anymore. Like mm. days off from school. Do you get those in Houston? Yeah, in Houston, like any time, it snows sometimes in Houston, and when it does, mm. like all hell breaks loose. Like no one knows what to do. We lose our minds. And we just can't go to school. <laughs> Even if there was school, I simply can't. I just have to celebrate. Of course, of course. I was there from 2003 till 2010. I think it only snowed one time that I can remember, but, uh, hmm. sorry, 2011, but yeah, I think it snowed one time in 2010, but yeah, it was like a drizzle, but we got a day off school, so that was cool. Yeah. Yeah, there was some crazy snow. Um, I think I had two, two snow days or three snow days while I was in high school in the U.S. Mm. Shout yeah. out, shout out Audi, huh? Shout out Audi. <laughs> if you had to eat one meal for the rest of your life, which one would it be and why? It would be sushi for sure. Mm. Why? Um, I just never get tired of it. There's so much. Or maybe I should be more. Maybe I should say Japanese food. I don't know if that's specific enough, but I love sushi. I'll never get tired of it. You can eat a lot of it if you're really hungry. You can eat not that much of it and be great. That's mm. whatever. Yeah, sushi is definitely the vibe. Um, are there any... I think there are a lot of, like, good hibachi-type restaurants in Houston that have that kind of uh, cuisine. My uncle took me to one... Took me and my sister to one of them when I was in Houston a few years ago. But, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Houston is great food. For sure. You know, the 713, we hold it down down there. We hold it down, <laughs> Yeah. In the food department. For sure. But yeah, I think this wraps up today's episode of Olu Swool. Thank you for coming on the podcast. It's a cool Thank episode. Thank you for having me. I had so much fun. Yeah, I uh, appreciate that. Olu Swool is available on Spotify, YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. We're also on TikTok, so growing that up. And <laughs> social still linked in the description. Mildred's hands, Mildred's hands, plural, will be linked in the description. <laughs> uh, thank you guys for listening and peace. Bye.